the last two weeks, we've been talking about, and it's been kind of in a goofy order, right? So I think this is the end of this little three-week thought series. I had an experience with the Lord, and from that experience came a message. And the message was that we needed to position ourselves to receive ministry from the, from the Lord himself. And, and I've, I've kind of coined a term now, just literally this morning, divine ministry. What just happened in here is divine ministry. And it's very, very biblical. So if there's anybody that was weirded out by tongues or, or people speaking kind of on behalf of the Lord, then call me and we'll sit down and we'll open up the scriptures and we'll see that that is the biblical pattern of the church. That, that literally this church for, in January will be five years old as a church. For, for before those five years started, we've been praying that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would flow with a little bit of fear because a lot of people are uncomfortable and, and the devil tries to get in your head and get you to think, well, you know, if somebody speaks in tongues, people aren't going to come because they'll think it's weird. But we persevered in prayer and we did really excellent right up to the point where we actually gave God an opportunity to come and join us. So I sent an email out to all the, the big, you know, I, don't, I mean, the, I'm not muckety-mucks, but, you know, these very... Um, powerful guys in the assemblies of God, right? We're a Pentecostal church. I mean, this stuff ought to be happening in every place. Introduce me to some people that, that the gifts of the Spirit are flowing in the church so that I can go and learn from them, right? They gave me one church. And it looks, I mean, the best I can tell, it's littler than us, right? It turns out that I think all we had to do was just make a little bit, just a little bit of space for the Holy Spirit and the divine ministry will come. And, and the, the edification... Sorry, there's been a problem with the recording of the message this week. There's a little hole in the message. So what you're about to hear won't actually be a direct continuation of what you just heard. It doesn't dramatically affect the message, but uh, I wanted you to be aware of that, and we'll get it fixed next week. Thank you. Ministry is the act of serving, or one that serves, or an instrument of someone else to serve. So it's kind of cool, right? As as an instrument of ministry, we're like a, um, I don't know, like an aspirin in God's hand, so to speak. We're, we're the instrument that he's using to bring about his will of goodness onto people. Uh, the minister itself is to attend to the wants and needs of another. So ministry is always about somebody else. And, and don't you know that, that in the, um, the principle of sowing and reaping, if we, I'm not telling you not to ask, you always need to ask, right? But in, in the act of sowing in ministry, we will reap in ministry what we need, right? It, it, kind of like if we minister to the Lord in the areas of seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, that he would then minister to us that all of our needs would be provided for us. It's a sowing and reaping kind of a concept. And if, and if there's anybody that thinks that maybe, you know, hey, I have the Holy Spirit, you know, and I am just, I'm able because I have God and I don't, you know, appreciate that. You want to pray for me or minister to me, but I don't need it then I would point you to some scriptures in the New Testament. Jesus, after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and stayed on him. And he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and he didn't eat and he didn't drink. And when he was weak, he was attacked by Satan, tempted, tested by Satan himself. And at the end of that whole process, it says, Matthew 4.11, then the devil left him and behold, 
angels came and began to minister to him. See, God has, as part of his divine ministry, also these, these beings called angels, right? There's also kind of a, I don't know if you would call a demon an angel, but a demon be a fallen angel, right? There's a certain spiritual ministry that we don't want, that's always trying. The devil is always trying to minister through his bad spirit to our flesh, typically, to lead us away from the Lord. But even Jesus required ministry. There's another scripture that says, and I didn't record this one for the sermon, but where, where it lists the names of people that during Jesus' three and a half year ministry walk on this earth that ministered to Jesus, that helped to meet his needs. Luke um, 22, now I'm going to read three scriptures and I'm going to skip one in the middle, then I'll come to the skipped one. Luke 22, verses 41, 42, and 44. This is about Jesus again. And this is, this is um, just before he's taken captive. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's literally crying out to the Father because he knows what's about to come. It says, and he, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then verse 44 And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Now 43, right in the middle of that says, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. So so God ministered divinely to his son in his time of need by anointing. Remember he said that the... um, Jacob's ladder, Jacob had that vision, you know, he put his head on the rock and he saw like a ladder and angels ascending and descending. And then Jesus later said that that ladder was him and the angels ascend and descend on the son of man. So literally Jesus required divine ministry to be able to complete his task. And then the last scripture of this little angel part that I want to share with you is Hebrews 1.14. So Hebrews starts off with this conversation about who Jesus is and the difference between Jesus and the angels, because I think those uh, people that the letter was specifically written to, I mean, it was written to all of us, but specifically in that time written to, had this concept of angels being divine in a way that would cause them maybe to worship the angels, and we're never to worship the angels. We worship only God in the person of the Father and the person of the Son and the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't worship angels. We would desire their ministry, that God would send their anointing, right? So they go through this whole process of of comparing the angels and and Jesus and kind of finish with this scripture in verse 14 of chapter 1. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Now, I pray for angels. I mean, I don't pray for them like, oh, dear Lord, help the angels. But, But I pray for that ministry. I pray that every resource of heaven would be poured out on our behalf so that we might walk out our call, right? If, if Holy Spirit has gifts for the church, then we need them, right? Why would we leave a gift of God unwrapped and unused when he's given us a mission that requires us to persevere, to endure? He said to Ananias, when he sent him to pray for Paul, who was at that time Saul, that the scales would fall off his eyes and that we'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that he might know how he would suffer for God. That's the Apostle Paul. So if we have this assignment that's tough, and, and you can disagree with me, but I don't think it's easy to be Christian. I mean, I think God gives me everything required to do it, but I have this flesh 
that wants to not be Christian. I got this devil that's trying to tweak me through my flesh to get me to not be like Jesus. And it requires my discipline in the ministry, the divine ministry of heaven, the ministry of the body, and the ministry of the word that I might walk out holiness. Jesus needed them. We need them. I asked God to send them on Sunday mornings. I don't totally understand how they work. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not like uh, a perfect expert, but I know that if angels are a resource sent for the service, for the sake of those who will inherit salvation, I think that's us, and I want them because I want everything that God has for us. Amen? Okay, let me give you a little situational context about our, our situation. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, this being Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus came that we could have this abundant life, right? But there's a thief, and he wants to steal our abundant life, kill us, and destroy our abundant life. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So here we are about this abundant life that Jesus has purchased for us. He came that we might have it. But here's this devil in all of his demon resources trying to steal, kill, destroy, prowling around, looking for whom he might devour. And see, he's good at what he does. I mean, relative to the the Holy Spirit here with us, in us, it says that he that is within us is greater than he that's in the world. So it's not like it's a fair fight between the Holy Spirit and the devil. But it requires that we actually have and access the truth that's in the Holy Spirit that we might overcome the schemes of the devil. So the context that I want you to understand is that there is somebody that is absolutely hell-bent on you not getting to heaven, absolutely hell-bent on you not walking out all of the deeds, all the good works that God prepared for you before the foundations of this world, and that we need all the resources of heaven that we might actually walk that narrow path and serve him in truth. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So, despite the magnitude of the struggle, we need to know that we're not the only one. The devil will want us to think that it's just me. Nobody else struggles how I struggle. I'm the only one with these bad thoughts. I'm the only one that stumbled in this way. It's not true. There is no issue that you struggle with that's not common to man. You're not the only one. That God is aware. If he wasn't aware, then he wouldn't be measuring what he's allowing in each and every one of our lives. He's constantly aware of the struggles and the trials and the tribulations because he's measuring them. He's pulling back on the reins. If it looks like it's going to be more than we can stand, he's not allowing that to happen. He will not allow more to come to us than that which we can endure. And he's giving us a way of escape that we may endure. There's always an answer. Now, see, the thing that you got to understand is sometimes the way that we endure is each other. We encourage one another. We come alongside one another. That the ministry of the body... The ministry of the word of God is what will strengthen and encourage us as we endure through these trials and tribulations that that not only are the enemy trying to destroy God's work, but they're also God allowing them to happen because we're just a little pot of clay and he's allowing those things to shape us and to form us exactly into the likeness of Jesus. 
It's the process that he's chosen, so it's the very best process to get us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Okay. I guess the last contextual thing I would say is um, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 18 and verse 27. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And then verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So you have to understand that there are no lone wolves. Everybody is a part of the body. And I was going to read all of, uh, almost all of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he talks about spiritual gifts and, and he talks about our placement in the body and he, and he talks about how some parts seem to be less honorable than other parts, but, but the body gives more honor to the less honorable parts. And that the most honorable, you know, the ones that, that would seem to us most desirable, oh, I wish I was that gift, is given less honor because they get it just by, their, by where they're kind of been placed. So what he's saying is that we are part of a body. All of us are part of a body. And if you read 1 Corinthians 12, you see that he's given us gifts. And all the gifts are necessary. No part of the body or the body does not function the way it needs to function if any part of the body is excluded. All of us have to be like this in order for God's will to be fully manifest, for us to be a city on a hill, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, requires that we understand we all have a role to play, and the role that we have is the role that God designed for us. So if I'm trying to be, I don't know what, spiritual gift something, Pat, because it just seems so attractive to me, but it's, it's not the way that God's designed me to be. I'm always going to be uncomfortable and I'm never going to be fully functional because I'm trying to be something that I'm not. I need to understand how God's placed me. I need to ask for the fullness of his gift to be manifest through me in connection with the body so that we can be really effective in our ministry for God. Okay, so there's some uh, connection I want you to make and that is that ministry leads to endurance, or, or it facilitates endurance. Endurance facilitates salvation. Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith develops endurance or perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work that you might be complete and mature and lacking nothing. So there's this function of endurance that leads ultimately to the one who endures to the end will be saved, up to our ultimate salvation, that, that works the process of our sanctification unto holiness in this world right now, that requires the ministry of the body that it would play itself out properly. If I try to be everything that God has called me to be without your help, it won't happen because he hasn't designed me to be able to do that. And the same is true for you. Okay, so what does ministry require of us? These are some words, and I'm going to read you some scriptures fairly quickly, but I want you to hear the places where these words connect with these scriptures so you get a sense for the requirement that ministry has on us. Ministry requires connection and relationship, right? Circles are a big deal. That's why we have to be in circles. You can call them whatever you want. You can call them coffee times or or prayer meetings. or It doesn't really matter what you call them. We just call them circles. It's times when the body gets together. It requires that we're connected and related to one another. Ministry requires compassion. Ministry requires prayer and intercession. Ministry requires transparency. And that's a big deal. Ministry requires service. Ministry requires humility. Ministry requires preparation. 
See, you can't minister truth unless you're prepared to minister truth. Because if you never read your Bible, you don't know what truth is. You have a wisdom, but it's probably not the wisdom that comes from heaven. It's probably earthly wisdom, which is demonic. So being able to minister requires preparation. It requires courage. It requires faith. It requires truth. And it requires character. Let me read you some scriptures. Romans 12, 15. Now, this is, these are instances, pictures of ministry, what it looks like. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And if one member suffers, right, he's talking about the body here, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I love this scripture, Luke 22, 31 through 33. This is Jesus speaking to Peter, Simon. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. See, remember now, Jesus, when he came, he was God and he was man. And and in his walk on earth, that he would take the authority over this planet back from Satan, he couldn't achieve that as God. He had to achieve it as man because a man gave it away. A man had to get it back. So Jesus, although he didn't have original sin, right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was a man not accessing his divine abilities full of the Holy Spirit. So when he says Satan has uh, demanded permission to sift Peter, it's because he got a word of knowledge, a spiritual gift from heaven that made him aware And his ministry response to that word of knowledge was to pray for Peter that his strength wouldn't fail. Whatever it was that he, man, I'm going beyond what I truly understand, but whatever it was that that opened the door, that gave Satan the permission to demand to sift him like wheat, Jesus' prayer is what covered that thing that exposed him. His ministry was actually prayer on behalf of Peter because he got a word of knowledge, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Shaba. Dabadu. James chapter 5, 14 through 16. Wouldn't you know this is the day I would do Shaba Dabadu? All right, back on task. James 5, 14 through 16. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So there's, there's so much in this little short course of scripture here, but it's all about ministry. It's all about anointing that God has given elders in the church to pray in faith that people would get healed. Now, if the devil's telling you, well, that's how come when I pray people don't get hurt, healed because I'm not an elder in the church, you've got to go back and let Scripture interpret Scripture because in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says that those who believe are going to heal the sick. So there, there's an anointing that God gives to an elder in this particular purpose to pray in faith that the sick person will get healed. There's an anointing that God gives to the church in general to pray for the sick that they'll be healed. All of us are to pray for the sick that they'll be healed. That's ministry. He says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. So there must be some some kind of a hindrance to healing that happens as a result of unconfessed sin, right? The devil will try to play shame into our minds and the fact that people will judge us into our minds if we confess our sin. 
Remember, there's probably no sin that you deal with that somebody else or many other somebody else's haven't dealt with or aren't dealing with right now. I remember I had a situation with one of my sons. I mean, I wasn't even certain of it. And um, I was a fairly new Christian at the time. So I went to my pastor, Pastor Jim at the Freedom Center, and I said, here, I got one that I'm sure you haven't heard of. And he just started laughing at me. He's like, if you, honestly, if you got one I haven't heard of, I'm buying your lunch today. And I told him what my concern was that I thought maybe was going on in my son's life. And he said, okay, let me just think. You're like number 746 with that one. The point was I thought nobody else's kid is dealing with my, what, what my kid is probably dealing with in an, in an issue of sin. And he's like, I've had this conversation hundreds of times. The lie is that it's just you. And if you tell me your sin, I'm going to judge you. Let me just tell you, as ministers, as priests in God's body, you cannot judge. You cannot judge. Because the minute you start to judge, that person is going to turtle. You know what a turtle does when it's scared? It disappears into its shell, right? And, and whatever disappears into its shell doesn't get dealt with. Anything that lives in the dark doesn't grow good. It's got to come into the light to be dealt with. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. One and two. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those or the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. And, and sometimes we're the strong and sometimes we're the weak, right? It's by situation by situation. Sometimes my weakness is going to require your strength. And sometimes your weakness is going to require my strength. We're to pick each other up and, and consider Philippians, I think, chapter 2 says, consider others more highly than you consider yourself. That we're supposed to walk in this humility that's concerned about one another. Now, if you have a situation or a mindset that says, you know, I really could care less, then that's just an opportunity for prayer. That the ministry of the Holy Spirit will come and transform you by the way you think, the renewing of your mind, unto that compassion that he's called us to. It's not a, a reason to condemn or to judge yourself. It's just an opportunity for transformation. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one... Um, gentleness. Gentleness. Well, I'm not sure if I got poked in the eye there or that was just... <laughs> but if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that means you that have the Holy Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore, or thereby fulfill the law of Christ. First, Thess First Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Hebrews 10.23-25 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without waver. I mean, He's saying, you got to get a good grip on your confession. Don't waver in your confession. you got to hold fast. It's another endurance kind of a word that he's using. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you, say the, as you see the day drawing near. So we as a body, 
have to be conscious of stimulating one another, of encouraging one another to love and to good deeds because sometimes we don't feel like being very loving and sometimes we don't feel like doing good deeds and sometimes our flesh gets really, really strong and then someone needs to come alongside and encourage and stimulate love. Speak the truth to me so that I can go and, and, and release love someplace else because I might have fallen into a place where I wasn't doing that. Teresa did that two, two Wednesdays ago. I, I, I literally, I was being overwhelmed by a demon. And I was, I was not loving. And we were, uh, had a thing. <laughs> I'm trying not to give you too many details because I didn't ask for any permission on this one. And we had a talk, and I was like, Lord, you know, Teresa said, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, Lord, you know, I'm not really receiving that because I don't think she really means it. I mean, you, remember, the demon is really big, right? And so I left the room, and, and I was having something to eat, and I was reading at the kitchen table. All of a sudden, now I'm, I promise you, Teresa was not feeling any better about me than I was feeling about her in that moment. Also, I feel a hand on my head that kind of comes down onto my shoulder. And I, I could feel love. I could literally feel love. And I turned, our chairs are tall. I turned and I reached around behind her and I pulled her into me and I just started kissing her. And she was kissing my bald head and hugging on me. And I was like, Lord, how did I change so fast? Because usually my flesh wants a little bit of flesh, you know? It's like, okay, let's just see if this is real. I'm going to take a few minutes. You know, you can just serve me a second there. A little more. No, that wasn't enough just yet. I mean, seriously, that's the way my flesh works. It wants more. But it, it just, boom. So I was praying as I was laying in bed that night. And the next morning, and I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. There was a demon that you had opened yourself up to. And you were totally submitted to its will. And Teresa's humility before God. Remember, she didn't feel any better about me than I felt about her in that moment. Her humility, her submitting herself to the Lord caused her to walk out and literally the demon fled, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And honestly, he, he told me, <laughs> this part was even more humbling for me. He said, the whole thing that you were squawking about was so that you could see your heart. I let Teresa into this situation that she's now suffered for because I wanted you to see your heart that was ugly inside. There was a part that needed to get healed up. So it gave me a place to pray for divine ministry. It made me love my wife so much more because... I'm supposed to be the leader. I'm supposed to be the one. And I wasn't because I just didn't. And the Lord was able to move on her and she was able to come minister to me without a word that literally, I mean, it was like a second and that whole attitude was gone off of me. I praise you, God. Man, I just thank you for Teresa too. She's awesome. Oh, that was all on the stop not forsaking your own assembly. There's a point to this. <laughs> not that. That was just a dory trail, but it was a good one. The point is that, that the isolated Christian is not going to be a strong Christian because you weren't given the ability to be excellent all by yourself. You need the body, and the body needs you. God gave me that vision when I was praying one time. It was Legos. I'm like, Legos, am I in having some kind of a weird, you know, um, whatever? And God said, No. It's the body. It's the church. Everyone's got a, a, a part that sticks out, and everybody's got a part with a hole, and they fit together. They fit together. They fit together, and the church functions when all the Legos are fit together because everyone has a need, and everyone has a gift, and no matter how awesome your gift is, you have a need because otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't let the body plug in and help you. 
So we have to come together. A couple of quick, let me give you some quick thoughts, and I promise it won't be 4 o'clock when I'm done. Maybe 325 if we're lucky. Some of those words that I gave you earlier, one of them was truth. Let me read you some scriptures. You've got to know, you know that, if there's, that, that what you need is truth. That all, I don't know if I can say this. I can almost say that every problem that we struggle with, every kind of soulish problem, maybe even some physical problems, are because truth is not present in our thoughts. That, that there's a fortress or a stronghold that causes us to see in a way that makes you react how I did that two Wednesday nights ago. There was something that was a lie in my head that the devil was using to prick my heart that caused me to act wrong, right? Truth is the absolute necessity for us as Christians. So if we're going to minister to each other truth, we got to know truth. John 17, 17, sanctify. This is Jesus literally praying to the Father on behalf of the church. Sanctify them in, tr- in the truth. Your word is truth. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. When you minister, minister truth. Don't minister flesh. Don't minister what seems right. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Only truth leads to life. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. You minister his way, his truth, unto his life. I had a a person come and ask me for prayer one time. It was a lady. And um, her marriage was struggling. And she said, I don't know what to do. My husband's Christian friends are counseling him to divorce me. They weren't ministering truth to that man. They were ministering demonic wisdom, earthly demonic wisdom, because God hates the divorce. God wants reconciliation. Our ministry, I think it's 2 Corinthians says, is the ministry of reconciliation. You are not ministering reconciliation when, you, when you're counseled to a man who's struggling is, yeah, just go get yourself a better one. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience, and instruction. Both ends of ministry require communi- or excuse me, courage and humility. Without courage and humility, I can't confess my sins to you. I have to humble myself in order and be courageous in order to confess my sins so that I might be healed. I can't minister in the Holy Spirit to you in pride or fear. I have to be courageous and trust God that he will speak through me. The words will be given to me. And I have to be humble and not judging anything that I hear. It's probably not scripture, but, but, thereby, but by the grace of God go I. You know, I might have your sin if it wasn't for God's grace. You might have my sin if it wasn't for God's grace. I'm not going to think more highly of myself because I've, I've, I'm aware of your stumble. Humility and courage. Okay, this is the last scripture I want to read to you. I want, I want you to hear yourself in this scripture. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service 
That word service is translated ministry in other translations. To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the close of this three weeks of messages is that walking out our faith, walking out living in holiness, becoming from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and then staying in his likeness isn't easy. If it was easy, there wouldn't be such a call for endurance. There wouldn't be such a call for perseverance. There wouldn't be so many scriptures that said, bear one another's burdens, lift each other up, consider others more important than you consider yourself. Walking out our Christianity to the end, to that day when either Jesus returns or we pass from this life into the next one, requires help. It requires that we be helpers. It requires that we get help. It requires that we be humble and, and ask for help. We had a circle the other day, and, and the guy, one of the guys was saying, you know, I don't ask Jesus to, to come unless it's something really important. And I'm like, man, if I got a splinter, I'm asking somebody to pray for me because I don't want to have a splinter anymore. And the increases the chances of that splinter going away or the pain going away if I ask people to pray for me. I really think you should be more like me than that guy. That God will invade every single need, no matter how big or how small, but it requires the interaction, the humility to ask, and then the willingness to serve in ministry. We need the divine ministry of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to flow in the congregation, in the circles, when we're together. We need the ministry of his resources like angels, just like Jesus needed them. And we need the ministry of the body. We need to love and encourage and edify, stimulate each other to love and to good works. And that's why we have to be together. People that say, you know what? I can love Jesus, but I don't need his church. The church is a hospital. If you think that you're going to come to church, which I know none of you do. You all know me, right? You come to church, you're only going to find perfect people that are never going to cause you any pain and never going to cause you any hurt. You have a misperception. All of us come with needs. All of us come with hurts. The ministry of God through his body, through his spirit, through his angels directly to us is what releases those things from us so that we can be like Jesus and we can help each other. So you cannot forsake the gathering together of the saints. Otherwise, somebody who needs what only God has given you for them isn't going to get it. And what you need that somebody else has that you can't do on your own isn't going to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Teresa, you want to come and you close us up? That's such a good word. Amen? Yeah, that was a good word. We need the body. We really need the body. Look at your neighbor and say, I really need you. Now look at your other neighbor and say, I really need you. <laughs> yeah, not I need your body, but you guys get what I, you know, leave it, leave it to Pat to come up with that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's clapping? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just wrote down a couple notes here as he was speaking, and um, one of the things when he, um, he's was talking about 
us as a body needing one another. You know, when you know who you are as a son and daughter um, to the Most High God, to Father God, um, we'll say, I need. Daddy, I need something. Daddy, I'm hurt. Father, I need you. Father, I need prayer. But when you're an orphan, you say the opposite. I don't need, I don't need any of you. I don't need anything. I can do it myself. That's how an orphan thinks. And so I just want to pray into that because in order for us to become fully functional as a body, we have to really um, understand that we do need Father God for everything. And that's where all of this fits into place. And once we understand that and receive that, then we're not ashamed to say, I have a need. Help. I need, I need you to love me today. So let's close our eyes. Father God, we just humbly come to you today as your sons and daughters. And we say, Daddy, we have need. We need you. I want you just to say that. And I want you to fill in the blank. Daddy, I need you. I need whatever it is. Father, I need. And just everybody just pray out loud. Father, I just need this today. I need you to come and touch my body. I need you, Dad. I need you, Father. I need you, Father. Whatever it is. You know, if you hear some little voice saying, no, he's not going to do this, he's not going to do that, let me tell you, that's not the voice of God you're hearing. That's somebody trying to keep you in bondage. So, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we say we need you. We need you to touch our bodies. We need to take back what the enemy is trying to steal from us. Some of, the, some of that is our health. Some of that is um, depression. Some of that is fear. Fear does not come from God because perfect love, which is Father God, cast out all fear. So, Lord, I just release that. Courage and humility flies right in the face of rejection. So when you feel like you're afraid to say something because you're afraid that you might be rejected, courage and humility says, I don't care because I know who I am. I'm going to have courage. And the humility it takes to meet the need of my friend. God's all about family. Father, I just thank you for your restoring family. Family in the sense of personal families, but family on a greater scale, God, across this nation, God, across this earth. You are calling your sons and daughters home, and you are restoring family, your family unto you in health and wholeness, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege and the honor it is for you to ask each one of us as a son and as a daughter to be ministers in the body, 
to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons. You've commissioned us. You've asked us to go and do this. And you said as Jesus, as we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.